Well, we're in John 6 again, uh, this message, and then uh, one or two more, I'm not sure, on the rest of John 6. There's some good stuff here. There should be an outline inside your bulletin. There are printed messages at both exits. You can grab one either now or later as you like. Uh, there are uh, printed messages online. If you've got your electronic device there and want to beam it up, you can read it on your iPad or whatever. Um, and uh, the audio messages online as well. I'm reading from verse 48 down to verse 59 of John 6. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Then the Jews began to argue with one another, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and, as, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread, I think there he pointed at himself. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Well, perhaps the Sunday before Thanksgiving is not the time to ask you, what are you eating? Uh, Holidays are notoriously difficult times to stay on a diet. I just noticed this morning that my belt shrank since the last time I used this belt. And uh, I thought, oh no, the holidays are coming. So maybe you're saying, well, ask me in January. But uh, in the providence of God, I didn't plan this for the week before Thanksgiving. Uh, in the providence of God, our text asks us the, uh, to consider the question, what are you eating. Not physically, but spiritually. What are you eating? You know, we hear a lot these days about the importance of a healthy diet, and uh, you are what you eat. And of course, a lot of Americans eat a lot of junk food, which is causing a lot of health issues that are preventable. But I think most of us could uh, benefit by being more careful about what we eat. And it's the same spiritually. If you gorge yourself every day on the latest movies and on the fare that's on the TV every night and all of that sort of stuff, and uh, you seldom feed on the Bible, uh, don't be surprised if you're spiritually uh, a bit sluggish and not healthy. 
Uh, I know a lot of people, their spiritual intake consists of maybe a sugary devotional taken on the run like a donut and uh, an occasional sermon when they're not doing something else on the weekend. They show up at church and that's about it. And uh, then they wonder, well, I wonder what's wrong with my relationship with the Lord. Well, you are what you eat. Uh, John 6 That is the main theme after the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus feeds the multitude with the five loaves and two fish in the first part of the chapter. And then he repeatedly offers himself to us as the spiritual food that gives both eternal life and eternal satisfaction to uh, all who eat of him. Notice these repeated I mean, it's just like he's hammering at home, so we'll get it, these repeated verses, uh, starting at John 6:27, He says, Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on Him the Father God has set His seal. Then in verse 32, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it's my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. Then again in verse 33, for the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. And then in verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. Then, picking up with our text here, verse 48, I am the bread of life. Verse 50, this is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. Verse 51, I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And then in verse 52, the Jews begin to argue with one another, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now, if Jesus were tuned in to being seeker-sensitive, he would back off and say, ooh, I've kind of offended them, you know. I need to be a little more careful about how I say these things. And uh, rather than softening it, Jesus goes on to make it even more offensive because he changes the bread analogy now to his flesh. And he not only says, you've got to eat my flesh, but then he adds a statement that would have grossed out every Jew. And you've got to drink my blood. I mean, to a Jew, drinking blood was just, you know, where do I go to vomit? They just were repulsed by that idea. And Jesus piles that on and and says that to them. Uh, Notice verses 53 to 57, how he repeats that over and over. So Jesus said to them, again, truly, truly, he's getting their attention. I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourself. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood, there it is again, has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him, as the living Father sent me, 
and I live because of the Father, <clears throat> uh, so he who eats me, he also will live because of me. And then he goes back in verse 58 to the bread analogy. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. And then John mentions in verse 59 that Jesus spoke these things as he spoke uh, probably from verse 41 on is his discourse in the synagogue in Capernaum. Now, in another place, Jesus brings up Capernaum in Matthew 11, 23 and 24, and he warns them, and you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will descend to Hades. Here's why. For if the miracles had occurred in you, or in Sodom, I should say, which have occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. Nevertheless, I say to you that it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. That's just a simply awful warning. I mean, Sodom was not notorious for its you know, good behavior. It was a horrible, horribly sinful place. And Jesus is saying to Capernaum, you're going to have it even worse than Sodom in the day of judgment if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood. And so, all that to say, we need to be really clear on what Jesus means here so that we don't follow Capernaum into judgment. We need to make sure that we are eating Jesus' flesh in the proper sense and drinking his blood. So, we want to explore what that means. And the lesson here summed up is that feeding on Jesus by faith is necessary for three things. It's necessary for eternal life. It's necessary for temporal sustenance in this life. And it is necessary for both temporal and eternal satisfaction. Now, we need to understand, and and again, there's certain themes here that just get hammered over and over and over again, um, which is why I didn't just take a progressive outline to the text, because it's just repeating itself. So I'm kind of taking a thematic approach here this morning. But eternal life is so big in this passage. Jesus is talking about eternal life or eternal death. Serious, serious matter. Verse 50, Jesus says, If you eat of him as this bread from heaven, you will not die. And of course he means die spiritually. We will not come into the second death because everyone dies. He states the converse in verse 51. If you eat of this bread, you will live forever. Again, eternal life is what he's talking about. In verse 53, he warns the Jews that unless they eat his flesh and drink his blood, they have no life in themselves. Verse 54, he's reverses it again, the converse, and says uh, that the one who eats his flesh and drinks his blood has eternal life. He reinforces it in verse 57 where he says that he who eats me, uh, he also will live because of me. And then in verse 58, he again contrasts his bread that he's offering with the manna which the Israelites ate and died And he says, whoever eats this bread, and I think there he was pointing to himself, will live forever. So this is an eternal life 
eternal death issue. And there's nothing in the world more important than you make sure you have eternal life. So that's why this is a very, very important text. The first point then that Jesus is making is that feeding on Jesus by faith is necessary for eternal life. It's very clear here. It's necessary for eternal life. But what does it mean? Well, there are some who say, well, that means taking communion or the Lord's Supper. Uh, There are whole denominations that teach that. Uh, Also, the Roman Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church, in part, base their doctrine of transubstantiation on John 6.53. The transubstantiation is the view that the communion elements actually become the body and blood of Jesus when they are blessed in the communion service. And they're basing that in part on verse 53. Uh, So before we examine what Jesus means positively here, I need to deal with what he does not mean. And I am convinced eating Jesus' flesh and drinking Jesus' blood do not refer to partaking of the Lord's Supper. A.W. Pink Uh, in his exposition of John, gives four reasons that John 6 does not refer to communion. First, communion had not yet been instituted. That's about a year off chronologically from when Jesus spoke these words. So nobody would have thought, oh, communion, of course, that's what Jesus is talking about. It it didn't even exist yet. Uh, A second reason, Jesus was speaking here to unbelievers And communion is decidedly for believers, for those who believe. Uh, A third reason, the eating here is that Jesus is talking about is unto salvation or eternal life, while eating the Lord's Supper is for those who already have eternal life uh, and is more focused on fellowship with the Lord. And then finally, fourthly, um, eating the Lord's Supper does not produce the results that are here attributed to eating and drinking Christ. Uh, if, if Jesus' words here refer to communion, then you get saved by eating a piece of bread and drinking some juice or wine. And that is totally contrary to the entire New Testament, including the Gospel of John, that says that we are saved by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, John 3.16, we've seen that. And so we are not saved by participating in a ritual. J.C. Ryle puts it this way, uh, and he was an Anglican man. He says, we may eat the Lord's Supper and yet not eat and drink Christ's body and blood. In other words, unbelievers can come and eat the Lord's Supper, but they have not done what the text is talking about. And then his second statement to balance it, uh, we may eat and drink Christ's body and blood and yet not eat the Lord's Supper. In other words, we may believe in Christ truly and yet not be partaking of communion. Now, let me just comment on the main problem with the Catholic and Orthodox view of transubstantiation. There are a lot of problems with it, but the main one is that it takes literally words that were obviously meant as symbolic. It's true, Jesus said in Matthew 26, 26, when he gave the bread, this is my body. But it's also true in John 10 that Jesus said, I am the door. 
and in John 15, I am the true vine. Now, nobody takes those literally and says, oh, there's Jesus over there in that door. Uh, or, you know, there he is in the vine. Uh, we know that he meant those words symbolically. We're supposed to think about what does that represent? What does that mean? And the same thing with the communion elements. Um, so as... Uh, and there are some parallels, by the way, that we can draw here between the Lord's Supper as later instituted in Jesus' words here. Uh, one uh, scholar, Colin Brown, puts it this way. He says, John 6 is not about the Lord's Supper. Rather, the Lord's Supper is about what is described in John 6. So you have to get the chronology right. The Lord's Supper comes later. Granted, there are some lessons here that we can uh, take when we partake of the Lord's Supper, but this is not the Lord's Supper. And, and for sure, the elements do not become the literal body and blood of Jesus. Now, if I had more time, I could go into more reasons that that's a, a, a wrong view, but I won't. Let's focus instead positively on what eating Jesus' flesh and drinking His blood means. And I believe that it refers here to believing in or personally appropriating by faith Jesus' death on the cross as your only hope for heaven, for eternal life. So it refers to trusting in Christ and Christ alone, especially Christ crucified in your behalf as your, your only grounds for eternal life. I want you to note a couple of parallels here. In John 6.40, which we've already studied, Jesus says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise Him up on the last day. So the requirement there for eternal life is you behold and believe in, those are pretty synonymous, uh, the Son in Jesus, and you'll have eternal life, and then the results, well, that's the result, the result is eternal life, and I'll raise him up the last day. Now jump down to verse 54. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood um, has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Those are exactly the same results as in verse 40. You get eternal life, and Jesus will raise you up on the, the last day, the day of judgment. And so the results are the same, therefore... Since things equal to the same thing are equal to each other, I think that uh, eating Jesus' flesh and drinking Jesus' blood are the same as beholding the Son and believing in Him. And so it refers to believing personally in Jesus' death on the cross for you as your only hope for heaven. But still, you might ask, why would Jesus use such graphic language uh, like eating his flesh and drinking his blood to describe believing in him. I, uh, you know, you've got to scratch your head on that one. I think one reason might be that he's trying to make clear to these Jews, these were the ones who, who ate the food that he manufactured, that he miraculously uh, distributed to them there at the feeding of the 5,000. And they wanted a political messiah. They wanted a Messiah to bring them peace, prosperity, and uh, all that they needed in this life. And Jesus is emphasizing, 
I'm not that kind of Messiah. First time he came, he came to offer himself as the sacrificial lamb. Uh, he came, he will come the second time as the conquering king to judge the nations. But the first time, as John 1.29 said, Behold the Lamb of God. Jesus came to be the Passover Lamb. And by eating His flesh and drinking His blood, and, and all of the Jews were familiar with Passover, uh, they could have made that connection and thought, wait a minute, we do that with the Passover Lamb? Jesus is that Lamb. And they would have seen their need for Him by this shocking and graphic language uh, and, and hopefully realize my main need is not for bread in this life. My main need is for eternal life. And that comes when I trust in the true Passover lamb who is Jesus who would be slain for them. Now in verse 51, Jesus says, I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So by saying that, Jesus is pointing to his upcoming death on the cross, that he would die physically on the cross uh, to bear the penalty that we deserve. He says that I will give my life for the world, meaning Jesus laid down his life voluntarily. The cross was not Jesus somehow got messed up and was a victim. In John 10, he says, I I give my life for my sheep. I lay it down. Also, the bread analogy speaks of death because as Jesus will say in John 12, 24, he says there, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So to make bread, you've got to take the the fruit of the wheat, the, the seed, and it's got to die in the ground. And then as it sprouts up, The crop is picked, but then the grain has to be crushed. And, of course, from that comes bread. And so, again, I think Jesus is pointing ahead to the fact that he had to die in order to give his life as bread for eternal life for those who will partake freely of him. Also, A.W. Pink suggests that maybe the eating analogy goes back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve got us in this mess by eating the fruit, the, the forbidden fruit. And now you get out of this mess by eating of Jesus, who offers himself as the penalty for your sin on the cross. So the analogy there. I think maybe another reason that Jesus uses such graphic language here is to, to present the offense of the cross in full view. The cross is an offense, and people stumble over it, as Paul said. And, and drinking blood, as I said, was just highly offensive to a Jew. It just made him want to go throw up somewhere. Uh, and, and yet when they start arguing among themselves in verse 52, how can this man, and I think that's a derogatory term, how can this man give us his flesh to eat, As I said, rather than backing off and going, oh man, I I shouldn't have used that language, you know, that was a little tough. That was kind of over the top, wasn't it? Jesus like pokes them in the eye and says, not only you got to eat my flesh, you got to drink my blood. 
And he doesn't just say it once. He says it over and over and over again. Almost every verse from verse 53 on, he says, drink my, eat my flesh and drink my blood. I mean, it's just like he's clobbering them with it. Why does he do that? Well, the Bible is clear. Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission for sins. I don't know if you've ever thought when you read through the Old Testament just how gruesome the Hebrew religion was. You know, when they're sacrificing hundreds of sheep and bulls and goats and stuff there on the altar. We got a little glimpse of that the summer before last when we were there in Central Asia with our daughter and it's in a high Muslim area and uh, it was around the time of the year when they're slaughtering sheep for one of their festivals. So you're walking down the sidewalk and here's a guy slitting the throat on a sheep, you know, all over the sidewalk, blood and everything. And it's not a pretty thing, let me tell you. It's really messy and really kind of, um, you don't want to look at it. But to be the complete and final sacrifice for our sin, Jesus' blood had to be shed. And that's to say this. If you're following Jesus as your moral example, but he's not your Savior who shed his blood for your sin, he's not your Savior at all. You don't have eternal life. Jesus, true, was a great moral example. But first and foremost, he is a savior from sin. And we have to trust in his shed blood in that regard. So to be clear then, eating Jesus' flesh and and drinking his blood refer to believing in and, and personally appropriating his death on the cross as the only sufficient payment that God will accept for your sins, so that you don't have to pay for it at the judgment. And then, finally, just note that eating Jesus' flesh and, and drinking his blood, then, are how you gain eternal life. And we're not talking here about just a matter of how to have a happy life or a happier life. We're talking about eternal life or eternal death. Um, And in verses 49 to 51, Jesus contrasts, your fathers ate the manna. You guys think manna was great stuff? Yeah, it was good. But you know what? They're all dead. They ate the manna and died. But the life that I give them, the bread that I give them, if they eat that, they will not die. They will have eternal life. The world masks our true hunger. If you feed on the world... It'll tell you that things like money and possessions and sex are really what you live for. That's the good life. But you know what? All that's going to mean nothing when you stand before God in judgment. And sometimes the world masks our true hunger with legitimately good things. Family and friends. I mean, those are the greatest blessings that we have is the families that God gives us and the, the friends that we have in the Lord And yet all that's going to be taken from us and we're going to be standing there before the Almighty God in judgment someday. And uh, those aren't true food. In verse 55, Jesus says, My flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. And so the Holy Spirit has to convict us of our need for a Savior. He has to impress on us the vanity of life without Christ. I don't understand how the whole world doesn't just go, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. 
I mean, you, you build your career, you get a lot of money, you get a lot of stuff, and you die. Well, what's the point? Eternity's the point. You're going to live forever somewhere. And you better be right with God. And Jesus offers Himself as the sacrifice freely given, which the Son of Man will give to you if you ask for eternal life. So this is all about um, eternal life. Eternal life. Um, let me think just briefly with you about the eating and drinking response here. Eating and drinking, first of all, eating is, is a necessary response to a felt need. You know, when, when you eat, you, you, you feel hungry. That's why you eat. Some of us feel hungry all the time. Or you drink, you're thirsty. So it's that response. And as I said, the true felt need is eternal, not temporal. And then secondly, eating and drinking only do you any good when you actually do it. I mean, that's obvious. But what I'm saying is, it doesn't do you any good to smell. You know, oh, that turkey smells good if you don't eat it. And uh, it doesn't do you any good to do a chemical analysis of the food. It doesn't do you any good to write flowery poems about, oh, I love turkey and dressing and all the stuffing and everything. That's fine. But that doesn't do you any good. You've got to eat it. You have to actually eat it. And it's the same with Christ, you know. You can go to church and say, oh, wonderful warm service, wasn't that nice? And you can feel good and, you know, all of that. But have you eaten Christ? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ as your only hope for eternal life? And it's not enough even to go to church and say, oh, I believe Jesus is the Savior. The question is, is Jesus your Savior? See, have you trusted in Him? personally, in his death on the cross for your sins. And so that eating analogy means that we appropriate Christ into our inner being in such a way that he becomes part of us and we become part of him. And that leads to the second thing here. This first main point is that feeding on Jesus by faith is necessary for eternal life. The second thing is that feeding on Jesus by faith is necessary for temporal sustenance. And uh, here I'm in verse 56 and verse 57. Note verse 56. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Now, it's the first time Jesus introduces what he will develop at length in chapter 15, and that is when we trust in Christ, we come into an intimate union with Christ that he refers to as abiding in Him, um, where we are in Him and He is in us. Uh, the, the Greek verb there in verse 56 for eats is a present participle, and in Greek that means it's, it's an ongoing thing. You don't eat once and that's a done deal. You keep on feeding on Christ day by day by day, and as you do, you abide in Him. You have this close relationship with Him. When you eat food every day, it literally becomes part of you. Sometimes the wrong part, you know. But uh, it becomes part of you. And when you eat Christ day by day by day, you become more Christ-like is the idea. And uh, become more like Him in His character. 
Then in verse 57, Jesus emphasizes the intimacy we enjoy with him. He says, as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also will live because of me. And I found the way J.C. Ryle explained that to be helpful. Ryle said, it is as though our Lord said, just as the Father sent me into the world to be born of a woman and take the manhood into God, Even though I am among you as a man, I live in the closest union and communion with God. Even so, the man that by faith feeds his soul on my sacrifice for sin shall live in the closest union and communion with me. And then Ryle sums up, in a word, this is an amazing statement, in a word, the union between Christ and the true Christian is as real and true and close and inseparable as the union between God the Father and God the Son. Isn't that an amazing statement? Our union with Christ is that close. Now, a couple of implications here, three of them. First is, we ought to then be eating often. It's not not like, well, you know, I ate... Three weeks ago, what what do I need to eat today for? Most of us eat three squares a day and sometimes a little bit of snacks in between, don't we? And, you know, you can survive on less. I mean, if you were a prisoner of war and they gave you your cup of rice or your piece of stale bread every day and a cup of water, you can get by on that for a while, but you're going to come out of that POW camp emaciated and weak and and susceptible to disease because you're, you're just not getting the nutrients that you need. In order to be healthy, you've got to eat healthy food often, every day. Which leads me to ask, do you feed your soul on Christ every day? Well, you know, I, I, I read our daily bread when I get a chance. Okay, that's fine. That's a good little devotional, but that's not enough. That's all you're doing. You're eating your cup of rice. But you need more than that. You need to feed on the Word of God. And as you you read and meditate and reread and think on the Word of God, pray, God, would you reveal Christ to my soul? I need to know Jesus better. And the whole Bible is written about Jesus. Some of it's hard to understand. Yeah, I'm in Exodus right now. And boy, some of that's tough. But you know, in Exodus, I love Moses' prays there. And, and this is the man who has seen God do the miracles there with Pharaoh. And then he's seen God part the Red Sea. And they all march through on dry ground. And then the sea goes on Pharaoh's army. And then God has him strike the rock. And the water gushes out to give enough water for two million people in the desert. And then God gives the manna. And then here's Moses' prayer. It's over the top. I pray you, show me your glory. Huh? (laughs) Haven't you seen enough of God's glory, Moses? No, 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 I want to see God's glory. Wow, what a prayer. And that should be our prayer as we go into the Word every day is, God, I just need more. I've had little glimpses. I had a little of this and a little of that. I've never had anything like Moses had. But don't just say, well, yeah, I, I read the Bible a week ago. That's good for now. Read it daily. You need it as daily food for your soul. 
Also, it's helpful to have regular times to eat. Most of us kind of are on a, you know, morning, noon, and night kind of schedule, and that's a good thing. And nutritionists say that breakfast is the meal you should not skip. And, you know, I think there's a spiritual analogy there, and that is, I am not, by the way, disclaimer, I am not a morning person, okay? I, I'm doing good to be here on Sunday mornings and function. And uh, yet, I just realized, you know, several, many years ago, I need to set my alarm a half an hour early and get up and spend that time with the Lord. And uh, if I don't do that, my day just doesn't start out right. So just take that time to get up, read God's Word. I often pray the Word back to Him if my brain's too foggy to pray for other things. But just commune with the Lord and then proceed with your day. And then if you can eat more during the day spiritually, great. Pile it on. And uh, that's the third thing here. You can't overeat when it comes to feeding on Jesus. Isn't that good news? You know, I mean, here we go into the holidays and it's so easy to overeat. You know, I mean, it all tastes so good and you end up going away from the table going, oh man, I shouldn't have had that second helping of mashed potatoes and gravy. But you can't eat too much of Christ. You can eat and eat and eat and eat some more. And the more you eat, the better off you are spiritually because He feeds your soul. So feeding on Jesus by faith is necessary first for eternal life. It's necessary second for temporal sustenance. And then finally, feeding on Jesus by faith is necessary for both temporal and eternal satisfaction. In Matthew's account of the feeding of the 5,000, he sums it up. He says they all ate and were satisfied. I love that word. They were satisfied. And you know, isn't that why we eat? I mean, there's a satisfaction factor in eating, isn't there? That's why we overeat. It tastes so good. You just want to have more and more, and then you eat more than you should. But spiritually, you know, it's Christ is to satisfy our souls. I love... Fresh homemade bread. You know, when that stuff's baking in the oven, you walk in the house. In fact, real estate agents say, if you want to sell your house, have some bread baking. When the people come by to look, boy, this is a great place. You know, it just smells good in here. And then it comes out of the oven and you slice it and you butter it while it's still warm. Ah, what a great, great thing bread is. So it not only sustains us, it satisfies us, doesn't it? You see the analogy? Jesus, not only just is He our source of life, He he is our source of enjoyment of life. All of life. This life. And then eternally. David sums that up in Psalm 16.11. He says, In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. Fullness of joy Pleasures forever with the Lord. And yet, as John Calvin laments, he says, how few are there who are satisfied with Christ alone? How few are satisfied with Christ alone? And so, I just want to ask you to think about that this morning. 
Are you satisfied with Christ? As Savior, that He is all that I'm counting on for eternal life. Not my good works. Not my church attendance. Not how much I give. Nothing. It's Christ that satisfies the wrath of God on my behalf. I trust in Him. And then, are you satisfied with Christ as your daily sustenance? As you get in His Word and you say, Man, Lord, my soul is dry. I I need food. I need drink. Show me Jesus in Your Word so that He'll sustain me. And then the satisfaction factor is Jesus satisfying you. Do you enjoy Him today for all that He is and for all that He will be to you throughout all eternity? What a wonderful future we have. And, and if your answer this morning is, well, that doesn't really describe me, here's the solution. Change your diet. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank You that Jesus is all to us. That He is everything we need for life and for eternity. And thank You that He's a gift. You give Him freely to all who come. And Your Word repeatedly invites us, Come. Come. Let the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Let him who is thirsty come. Let him come and drink from the water of life without cost. I pray if any are here this morning without Christ, Lord, would You draw them that they would come to Jesus and eat and drink of Him. And Lord, if Your saints here are dry this morning, and we all go through those times in the wilderness where it just seems dry, I I pray You would revive our hearts and that we would come into Your Word today with expectant hearts and, and long to see more of Jesus in His glory. And Lord, we look for that glorious day when the the trump will sound and the shout, the voice of the archangel, and Christ will return and we will be caught up to be with you forever. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen.